Beauty, where are your sisters? Oh, they'll be home for... <laughs> oh, they'll be home for dinner. Where did you get that? Oh, I've made a terrible mistake. Oh. Hello and welcome to the Gemcast on Hologram Radio. This is Alex Knight and I am joined by Aline Sims, founder of the Less Than or Equal podcast and science fiction writer Kay Tempest Bradford. In season three, episode four, Beauty and the Rock Performer, Gem and the Holograms are invited to perform at a rock opera based on Beauty and the Beast in England. But when the rehearsals and photo shoots become too frequent, Jim becomes overworked and exhausted. Stay tuned for an action-packed episode. Showtime synergy. Episode 57, written by Claire Noto. We open in London, England, where Red Johnny Mac is having an impassioned phone conversation where he's trying to book a concert for the Rockets. The members of the Rockets show up at Mac's office looking to get paid but he hasn't come up with the money. Mac escapes the office and discovers Jem and the Holograms playing on the TV at a local club. Harold, a concert promoter, shows up with a thug to get some money out of Mac for the last failed tour, but when they put the pressure on him, he lies about putting together a Beauty and the Beast musical starring Jem. Is it just me, or was that a lot of character development and backstory like in a very few minutes of cartoon a few minutes a few <laughs> seconds we've never at the seen this person before and all of a sudden it's like and oh and him and the rockets and these guys you're gonna shake him until the money comes out and this that, and the other. i was like uh, are we supposed to care who what's going on who is this i don't know I if you're also... supposed to care but it is a lot of information within a very short time frame well yeah and i was doing that thing where i was like have we seen him before and i've just forgotten like, I didn't know what was happening. So, you know, like, it, they played it like that, kind of. It, yeah. it was very odd. Very, very odd. I liked yeah, his hair. His outfit yeah. was weird. Oh. I mean, I, I, even though I have, I remember this episode, I almost half expected him to be somehow related to Jeddah or something. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Why? Partially because he just seemed to be some sort of weird con man. Or, mm. I don't know. Maybe he's a relative of Eric Raymond. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you never know. The Raymond Crime Syndicate is a syndicate, over, you know, after all. I'm sure they have operations overseas. At Starlight Mansion, a package arrives for Jim with an enclosed letter, script, and contract from Red Johnny Mac. He invites her to star in the lead role of his rock opera, Beauty and the Beast. After reading the script, which by the way seems to happen within seconds, Jem tells the hologram she's going to do the play. Well, it's not even really Jem though. It's Jericho. Jericho. Which, Jericho. which made that scene really okay. weird because like the stuff arrived for Jem and even though the Starlight girls were in the room, Jericho was just like, well, just let me look at this. And I'm like, okay, but could somebody pretend to call Jem and mm, say, hey, mm -hmm. this opportunity has come oh, up. Oh, you're right. Also, also, who sends a plane ticket, a contract, 
you know all in one package is like so i will expect you to be in london at such and such a date like she didn't even have any kind of phone meeting with this individual he's desperate though he needs that money she he needs the money but like for her to just be like well i guess you're going she's never met this but like she never Mm. even called him on the phone never ever ever you know in, Mm. in previous episodes i mean there have been times where they're talking about having to come up with money to you know, to, to keep things, go, to keep the foundation going and stuff like that. So, I mean, knowing Jem and the way they manage money and seem to go through money, maybe she figured, well, I'll just, you know, on behalf, as Jem's manager, Jerrica's saying, uh, you know, she'll she'll take this role because she needs it. I don't know. Well, that, but phone calls. It, right. There wasn't At even the like a least. negotiation of how much they were getting paid. And also, I love how all the holograms assumed that they were going to, even though the thing he only said, Jim. And that was that was my thing was it was like once Jim to blah, 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 blah. And then the holograms are like, can we do it? And I was like, wait a second. Like, there has been up to now. There's been no mention of the holograms doing this at all. It's all been about Jim. It wasn't. He didn't get his revelation while the blood was slowly draining out of his lower extremities to have Jim and the holograms on. He was like, oh, no, Jim is going to be beauty. So it was weird to me. And I was kind of expecting some conflict there with um, like, oh, why do they want Jim and not the rest of us? We're a band and we should do this together type stuff. But no, it was just, I guess, I guess they just implicitly know that they're a package deal i don't know i, I found it kind of it was um, odd presumptuous. it was odd for sure presumptuous yeah i mean yeah you know i i guess we no longer are having that plot anymore where everybody's like but the holograms are part of it too we yeah. left that behind in season one well anyway they arrive in london gem and the holograms of course with rio their stage manager and they make introductions uh, to Mac and his crew. And I just thought it was kind of funny that Mac, you know, kisses all of their hands and then reels like, I'm surprised he didn't kiss my hand. Rio. Yeah. Rio is such a problem in this episode. I just. He's, he was feeling him. left out. He, he wanted his hand kissed. He did want his hand kissed. But at the same time, just like Rio this dude is introducing himself to people who he wants to impress and charm. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> Stop talking. That's, you know, we, I, all the sympathy I have for Rio and that whole thing with riot is now dissipated into the ether. Hmm. Mm. I wonder how many fans would just want Rio to be in a ball gag 24 seven. It's better if he just doesn't <laughs> say anything. <laughs> It'd be great. Actually. Mac introduces Zero Jones, the set designer, and Yoji Yakamura, a techno artist of the highest... I can't even say this without laughing. A techno artist of the highest quality. Yoji will be designing the beast, and he proceeds to demonstrate the effects he plans to build into the suits. It's like like electricity or something coming off of him, which is weird. Now, but then- <laughs> why are you poo-pooing on techno designers, Alex? I'm not. That's but, artistry. Oh artistry. my god, his that that uh, that Japanese accent. Whatever, he's an artist. I thought it was really interesting that when these people were being introduced, this is so and so from Malibu, California. Oh, and there's this other guy who's doing the art things. <laughs> yeah. 
okay. It was I, just all kinds of messed up. Also, he mm-hmm. was like, Malibu, California. Like, that's an exact location for right. him. They're like a bus ride away from Malibu. How do we know? Because they've done it. He's yeah. promo around the corner from you. Ha ha. All right. Zero suggests the castle could be a giant power plant with a turbine engine in the living room. What? Okay. Look, Alex, this is all very high concept. I feel like it's you apparently don't understand. Too artistic for my my tiny puny brain to really right, because, appreciate. You know, you have to if you're gonna do something like Beauty and the Beast, which is a story that like bunches of people know, and there's not a lot fresh that one can do with it, you have to come up with some nice high concept ideas for a production. If you don't come up with high concept ideas, like why would anybody come to see Beauty and the Beast just because Jim is in it? Whatever. Well, I, I I'm disappointed that the talking candle isn't in it. <laughs> Be that's a different concept. guest. <laughs> Be our guest. You're the gravy. Delicious. <laughs> don't believe me? Ask the dishes. <laughs> exactly. We're so gonna get taken off Jim. of iTunes. <laughs> uh, After all this, unless... this is not France. <laughs> I, mm. <laughs> oh. I'm just saying you gotta have some high concept stuff and I love the idea of like the beast you know living inside of a power plant and him being like electrified that's cool I will give him some points for originality that's for sure and apparently Jem seems to approve of the designs so they decide that rehearsals begin the next day at 7am so this is where I'm confused because I got the impression and maybe I interpreted this wrong that they were coming up with the concepts and had the concepts and they're presenting them to Jem and the holograms but then suddenly they're like oh rehearsals begin the next day and then the sets are there like where did they have the time this is some kind of world in which you know you write a script for something and then you come up with all how the set looks Right. <laughs> and the costuming later. Like, did they have 3D sure. printers or something and they just printed it overnight? I mean, I mean, you know, you could get some guys together and like, because this sure. stuff wasn't completely done. No, no, that's true. Day. That's very like true. Partially done. You could get some guys together, throw, so, throw something like that together. I mean, you have to pay yeah. them overtime. But, sure. you know, okay, clearly fine. that's not a problem. At Misfits Music, Eric informs Pizzazz that Jem is playing the lead role in the rock opera Beauty and the Beast. Pizzazz doesn't seem all that interested, though which seemed a bit odd to me. I don't know if you two thought it was a bit strange. You know, I I thought it was just, it seemed a bit odd. And then, of course, Eric explains that if the soundtrack is a success, it will make the holograms internationally famous. But then suddenly that piques Pizzazz's interest. Yeah, but also they're already internationally famous. They went to China like the third day. I know. So what happened? (laughs) They they did not, they, they were famous and then they, didn't become I don't I don't get it. They undid their success somehow. This episode seems to oddly have been written by someone who has seen other episodes of Gemini Holograms before and is taking random sort of themes and elements from other episodes and then also simultaneously seems like she doesn't understand the characters at all because yeah, you know, when Eric is Pizzazz should have been the one coming in and being like, Eric Exactly, exactly Jim is in and Beauty and the Beast in London. Why aren't we in a show in London? And like, you know, then Eric has to be like, all right, all right, I'll fix it. Like, that's usually how these things go. So the fact that that's not how that happened. And then also Eric was like, it's going to make them internationally famous. It's like, 
too late. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the, I did that too. They're already internationally famous. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't re- I don't recognize. Like I I looked at the writing credit and. I don't think this person has written other episodes of Gem, at least before before this episode. I, I I'm pretty sure of that. So that might be part of the problem, like like you were saying, is that maybe yeah. they had seen a few episodes kind of sporadically to get an idea of okay, I kind of get who these people are, but but it, it didn't seem like they had intimate knowledge of how these characters like from the psychology perspective how they behave what their motivations are and who would instigate what yeah it's really it's really odd yeah. so so yeah it's like well I, the misfits are coming to mess stuff up again oh oh well that's that's new yeah well the misfits decide to go to london just before rehearsals begin the holograms are asked to take promotional photos for the musical the musical opens with an old man stealing an electric guitar for his daughters who write and sing music together. The beast threatens the old man and makes him an offer. If he sends his daughter to him, he will let them go. If his daughter refuses, he will be forced into slavery. Now, why just the one daughter? He said, plural, I have daughters. Right, but he stole it for, for the one. That's true. He stole it for his, his favorite. So, He's an awful father. He's got playing favorites now. Well, no, no, no. He's not an awful father, as we see once we get to the next scene. But okay, so I kind of love this update on the the whole idea of like how all this stuff gets started because in the original story, it's like a rose or some kind of plant uh, that he picks, and it's on the grounds of the beast's house, and the beast is like, "How dare you pluck my roses? That was my favorite rose. How dare you?" Mm-hmm. And and then you know all the other stuff ensues, but it's always because the father is trying to bring something nice back for beauty, um, because she's his favorite daughter, or his only daughter, as the case may be in the Disney cartoon. But I don't think that that cartoon was out yet. I could be wrong, but most of the time there are no. sisters, uh, and so mm-hmm. beauty is his favorite daughter. And and so I I like the update. It's like he's stealing an electric guitar. I love how later he's like, I thought it was abandoned. I'm like, honey, nobody well, abandoned first of all, electric guitar. Why, right? I don't understand the plot. Like, so you decided to just walk through a power plant and you happen upon an electric guitar. Like, why so were works, you there? You what? If he works, you, he works there. Okay. He works there. So, and why would someone leave an electric guitar there? I mean, the beast lives there, so I guess, but how would anyone not realize that he lived there? I don't get it. Is there I mean, a secret no, room? No, it's not that he didn't realize that he lived there. He just thought it was abandoned. Okay. A discarded guitar, right. an electric guitar know, that he just pick up. Why am I questioning this BS? <laughs> I'm just saying, maybe in this world, sometimes people discard electric guitars just like... Because the Beast is rich, right? So the Beast probably has like 20 electric guitars. And I'm sure that every now and then he's just like, this $1,000 electric guitar is the worst electric guitar I own. And he just sort of like tosses in a corner. And so it's, you know, it's not Mm -hmm. completely out of hand that somebody might be like, I'm just going to take this home with me. But the Beast apparently didn't discard that guitar. He just had it lying around in the warehouse for reasons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because well, <laughs> reasons like that. Let's move to the next scene. I wrote down this little 
passage of dialogue here, a little exchange when the father arrives home. I just, I'm going to try to do the father's voice. I just thought it was hilarious. It sounded like someone was trying to do their best impression of, of what's his name out there? I'm drawing a blank now. What's the actor that played Snape in the Harry Potter movies? You know who I'm talking Alan about. Alan Rickman? Alan Rickman. It sounded like he was trying to do Alan Rickman, but like somehow ended up like sounding like Alan Rickman who caught some virus and his voice is kind of messed up because it did kind of sound like he had a golf ball stuck in his throat. And Beauty in this scene says, as his, you know, the father enters with the guitar in hand, says, Hello, father. Beauty, where are your sisters? Oh, they'll be home for... Th- <laughs> Oh, they'll be home for dinner. Where did you get that? Oh, I have made a terrible mistake. Alex, I don't even know how you came up with that, but that is also hilarious and amazing. (laughs) I mean, you didn't sound like that to me, but you go back and listen to it again. I swear, I am not exaggerating. That's what he sounded like. Oh, God. Beauty's sisters fight each other uh, for the guitar, and we see the father explains the situation, how he took it from the beast, but he originally thought it didn't belong to anyone. After Beauty's sisters accuse her of being a, quote, goody-goody, Beauty accepts the beast's terms to save her father. So I just want to point something out here that I'm pretty sure was intentional, but is really great. So um, the holograms are playing the sisters, right? And they're wearing some very, there's some very odd choices in clothing going on, but whatever, it's very different for them. But did you notice that basically they were all channeling the misfits? Yeah, they totally were. Yeah, they were bratty. Like in the exact way. It was interesting. That Pizzazz and and Roxy and Jetta are. Like it was, I, I was like, was that their direction? They were like, act like you're pizzazz today. It's like, and Aja went for it. <laughs> bizarre world gem in the holograms. They're just like acting like they're, they're evil opposites or something. Yeah. It was great though. That yeah. was awesome. And then of course we just it, cut to, Oh, Aline, you had a uh, comment there. Well, I was just going to say, I was, as I was watching this particular scene, I was like, this is Cinderella. Mm. this is this is cinderella meets beauty and the beast right here well in some of the versions of beauty and the beast the sisters really are this horrible that's true okay okay that's fair i mean you know if if like the Disney one is your major touchstone. That obviously, you know, she doesn't have any sisters in the in the Disney one, but in um like the stories that are in you know the published books and whatnot, sometimes she has sisters, and I mean, they think usually she has sisters, and more often than not, they're kind of jerks, which is why the dad goes out of his way to get something nice for Beauty because she's the nice one, like she's the one who treats him well. Because you notice, like at the end of this scene. You know, when Beauty is like, I will go, Father. I will go to the beast. And he's like, no, don't go. Because if you go, my life will become a nightmare. Because essentially, he'll have to live with the misfits. Children are <laughs> awful. They're yeah. awful. Uh, and the Disney version is my, like, 
I, I was eight when it came out. So like the Disney version in my head is the canonical version, even though I know that that's not true. Um, but I don't know. There was something about like the dresses, like they're all fancy. You know, he's stealing electric guitars and they're all dressed, I guess, fashionably ish. Um, and, you know, beauty with her, you know, doing doing the dishes or whatever. It was just like very, very Cinderella to me. <laughs> Like you're poor, but these daughters are dressing nicely. I don't know. It was, it was weird. Poor. It's just that they use all of his money to buy terrible clothes. Okay, that's true. <laughs> He's in those power plant worker monies. So we cut to the next scene here. It's just uh, pretty quick, but uh, it's between the Beast and Beauty, and she's clearly not happy to to be there, and they. She's, he's kind of forcing himself on her, and at the end of this scene, the beast says, "Do I disgust you? No matter, I will win your love." <laughs> oh my God, that's such a good impression. And then it cuts to a gem in the holograms music video called, and very aptly named, uh, "You'll Never Win My Love." What did the two of you think of the song and the video? I'm afraid to say. Well, let's <laughs> be, spit be it true out. to your heart, Aline. Come on, Aline. I will not I shun you. I don't like it. You know, oh. I don't like it. I don't like the message. I don't like it. What is the message that you feel is terrible? So, it felt very... Rapey? Like... <laughs> no? I didn't think so, but I, it felt... Oh. Well, he is enslaving her. It, yes. The, the the whole Beauty and the Beast is weird and problematic. But like, yeah. so it felt like an abusive relationship. Like, she's like, okay, you know, you have to act a little bit better. Not super better, but you need to act a little bit better. And, and then I can fall in love with you. Then, you know, not like oh, hey, you're a jerk face and I'm not going to waste your time on you. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it felt very, uh, my feminist tackles uh, were raised, I guess, at this because it was just like, you should know by now, gem, beauty, whoever you are, that that people who are mean and awful don't change. Well, very rarely. So I don't know. It just kind of on that level, I didn't like it. But Tempest, tell me why I'm wrong. Because I know you like it. I mean, I don't I don't necessarily think that you're wrong. I think that basically all the things that are going on with this episode and the music that's in this episode are all the problems that are inherent in Beauty and the Beast, the mm. story. You know, it's not specific to like this version of the story. It's Yeah, it's not it's not Jem's fault for right. sure. Right. It's it's pretty problematic. So I I I like this song just musically, and I think that you know, just in general, my like of this song comes from the fact that I, I just love this concept of, for a musical. So I'm like, yes, sing that song at the beginning of that whole thing where you're like, shut up, beast. You can't win my love if you're acting horrible. And that's sort of really what's inherent in this story is that that's what the beast has to learn is that he has to be nice. He has to stop being a mean person mm -hmm. and a horrible person all the time or a horrible beast, as the case may be. And so this is what I find 
interesting about it is that this is her being forthright. She's like, look, you can't make me like you this way. Like, it's just not going to work. If you want me to like you, you will have to go about things differently, which at the very least is somebody saying, this is what you would actually have to do instead of just being like, ah, run, it's evil. Mm-hmm. So like, that's the, that's the little bit of good I can get out of it. But other than that, I mean, I just like the song. Hmm. You'll never win my love. Acting cruel and mean. I just love it. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I mean, it's not my favorite, but uh, I wouldn't go as far as to say that I didn't like it. After the video, in anger, the beast grabs a chair and threatens to kill Beauty. At least that's the way I interpret it. I mean, but how else can you interpret that scene when the guy looks like he's about to hurdle the chair? They cut as some stage people tell Jem the sets need to be worked on to prepare them for opening night. So this is going back to, I think, what you said earlier, Tempest, at the beginning of this episode, that they they had, I guess, some basic framework of the sets, but they were not fully done. At least yeah, all the Yeah, but it's also effects. just ridiculous what happens here because, first of all, they do interrupt the scene in the middle of the scene. Sure. Which is just not something that you would do if you were the person who's no. like the, the set builder. Um, and second of all, like, where is the stage manager? Like, we know from the end of this where the director is, but where is the stage manager? Because the stage manager should be the person who should say, okay, you know what? It's getting late. We need to let these guys in because this is a union house. Shouldn't. And they need to do whatever. So let's end the scene here. But instead, we just have random people walking on the stage. And well, even though. Isn't what? Rio supposed to be doing that? No. <laughs> Rio is very pointless in this entire episode. There is really no reason for Rio to be there except for to be horrible and mean. Rio mm-hmm. does not have any function in this at all. Like he's not even fixing random lights like he was on the set of that movie. <laughs> he's just literally hanging out with the lady. So yeah, the, that's not Rio's job. That's apparently nobody's job, which is ridiculous because they would definitely have somebody have that job. So when Jem gets really super angry at these people for interrupting her scene, I can understand it because there nobody has any control over anything on on the you know the stage and in the theater, and they're just like random people interrupting your scene. That's the super intense scene, and and Jem is a method actress as we have seen, and so she Ugh. was like totally totally just into her character at that point, and they completely interrupted her. So this is like the only time I really feel a lot of sympathy for Jem is when, like, random stagehands run on the stage. They're like, all right, everybody, clear out. We got to build the set. Like, shut up. This scene here where they get interrupted, to me, like, this just begins this bizarre behavior, which they try to sort of explain at the end, but it doesn't, it still makes no sense. Where Jem runs off in search of the actor who is playing the Beast, and she says, and I think in this scene, she's like, where's the beast? Where's the beast? Like, she just seems like obsessed with finding him. And she finds Mac in his dressing room. And he tells her that he's already left. And she looks really disappointed. And she says to Mac that she was really excited to meet the actor in person. He tells her that uh, she's got some more uh, promotion to do for the musical, and I guess Jem's kind of starting to look a little bit exhausted here. Uh, 
And so she does this photo session. She's like completely exhausted and asks to cut it short for the day. Well, okay. So there's two things. Number one, this also came up earlier when they first showed up to the theater and then they had them take a bunch of pictures. She's like, Ooh, we better get started before we're exhausted. I'm like, you've been posing for pictures. It's not that exhausting. I mean, perhaps yeah. the models will tell me something different, but literally they're standing there making poses. I yeah, really that don't was think it's that hard. Ridiculous. But I, I do want to... It's hot, though, like with the flash and the... I guess. I, I will give them that. But it's just like she collapses to the ground. She's like, oh, I just can't. I'm like, shut up, Jim. But I do want to go back to this other thing, Alex, because you, you were saying that Jim has this bizarre behavior where she gets kind of obsessed with the beast. And... And this is sort of the running thing throughout the episode. And yes, Jem takes it a bit far with her nonsense, especially, but then like part of that is Rio's fault because Rio's the worst. However, there is a part that's not Rio's fault. And, and I understand this in, in a way. Um, I remember when, so I went to a performing arts high school and we did a, a lot of plays. Like we did a lot of like full scale productions. And one year we did The King and I. And I can't remember if we had two guys playing the king and I, but there was one dude who was playing the king. And I had known him, you know, for a, a few years. I mean, he was older than me, but it was a fourth grade to 12th grade school. So you, you knew a lot of people who were several years older than you. Mm-hmm. And I knew this dude. I, and I had known him for a while. But when he was playing the king, I was totally like having a serious crush on him. And I was like, oh, my God, Cheyenne. Oh, you know, and I wasn't even I was in the orchestra. I wasn't like part of the cast. But, you know, we would be around. And be like, oh, Cheyenne. Oh. And then after the production was over, I was like, what the hell? Why did we even ever care about that dude? He's terrible. And so and we just stopped caring. But he was Cheyenne was a very good actor. Like he and part of what you have to do when you're playing the king and the king and I is to exude a lot of charisma and a lot of just like powerful magnetism like that's sort of the point of that character Mm -hmm. and so like Cheyenne did that like he embodied that charisma and made all of us be like oh Cheyenne oh he's so cute and then after it was all over and he was just Cheyenne again we were like why why the heck do we even care about that guy so we cared more about the character than him as the person as the real person yeah yes but we weren't we we weren't really old enough to understand that you know, because I, th- I think I was like maybe in the seventh or eighth grade when this happened. So, yeah, we, we weren't equipped emotionally to understand the difference between those things, which made it kind of weird. But looking back, I, you know, recognize that that's what was going on. So I feel like that's kind of what's going on with Jem right here. But she's in her this... early 20s, though. I mean, well, no, 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 but it's not it's not a function of age that she would fall for this guy. I'm saying that because whoever's playing the beast we don't know yet till the end of the episode ha ha yes we do it's anyway. so hard to figure out it's so hard to figure out but like the person playing the beast you know he's very talented he exudes whatever it is that makes the beast a you know an interesting character that you want to follow and deal with that's what Jim is responding to and i get that because it can be easy to, to get caught up in it, especially in the moment, especially when you're being interrupted by random people who shouldn't be interrupting you. I'm still mad about that. Yeah. Uh, you know who doesn't exude confidence? Rio. Beauty, beauty's father. Rio. Rio. Yeah. The correct answer is Rio. He does not exude confidence. 
That's true. Exudes jealousy. Later in the evening, Jerrica practices her lines and ends up falling asleep at her desk. We get a dream sequence where Jerrica dreams of being on stage, trying on various fashion outfits, of course, in character as beauty, while the Beast tries to win her over. And of course, nothing is making her happy and it has nothing to do with the dresses themselves, but she just is miserable and demands for her freedom, but the Beast denies it. And she wakes up, and I think it's Kimber who wakes her up in that particular moment, saying that she's got she's got the rehearsal to do. And apparently she's had less than three hours of sleep, which is not good if you're going to be doing this play night night by night. Yes, that rehearsal schedule is um, very, very illegal by union rules. Probably. At the rehearsal, Zero unveils the completed set design, which is impressive. A banquet hall is shown on stage where the Beast provides a feast, but Beauty is miserable and just wants to see her father. Something goes wrong during practice and the stage begins spinning out of control. Backstage, Rio finds the misfits with pizzazz at the controls, who apparently were behind the sabotage, if you know, if there was any doubt. I mean, who else would it be? They've uh, And then, of yeah. course, the, the misfits are thrown out, and uh, they restart the rehearsals. And, and actually, we get to see Rio is v- very visibly jealous of Jem's infatuation with the Beast. I mean, so far in every scene, Jem, it's, it's a little overboard, but Jem in every scene, she's like, the beast, where is he? I must find him. Where is he? Are you telling me that you sympathize with Rio? No, I don't, but I'm just saying Jem's behavior is odd. <laughs> it's odd. Well, it it's, odd. It's, I agree. it's not only odd, it's really, really annoying given what just happened a few episodes ago with Riot. Mm-hmm. Like, Jem, come on. Also, I I don't know why Rio is, is sticking around. Like, quite honestly, I don't know what Rio is even getting out of this anymore. Yeah, that's, that's the very good question. Stuff behind the scenes that maybe isn't appropriate for a children's show. I don't know. But that's the thing. If, if Jem is good in bed, Jerrica is equally good in bed. But really, he has to pull up, put up with the same BS from either one of them, you know. Like, well, but it, it's similar BS, but not quite the same BS. Like, that's uh, Jerrica only used Eric Raymond against him once. Meanwhile, <laughs> how many dudes has Jem like thrown herself at in front of him for no good reason? Like, and now it's not even that's real true. dudes; it's imaginary dudes. I'm like, what is with electric faces? With electric faces. Mm, Yeah. Well, why don't we get to the next music video here? Uh, By Jim and the Hologram slash the Beast this time, called "Let Me Go." What'd you think? Well, do I even have to ask Aline? Of course, she doesn't like it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I also did not like this. I didn't like oh, the lyrics. No. I thought, sorry, that like grammatically, I don't think that lyrics have to be gr- grammatically correct, but there was something about the wording of these the, in this particular song 
that really, really grated me. Yeah, um, I agree. I thought actually it was. I didn't think gr- grammatically about it. I thought that it was clumsy and not particularly well written. Just, it, you know what? It's people. it's the rhyming. <laughs> it's the rhyming that bothered me. <laughs> I love this song. Does any, has anyone actually transcribed the lyrics for these songs? I'd love to actually review the oh, lyrics. Yeah, they're somewhere. The lyrics are always somewhere. But look, like, this song is great. It, it, like, it's a duet. And, and then, like... I liked it, that. <laughs> I did. I liked that. I'm I trying did. to find common ground here. I love you, and I'm trying to find t- common oh, ground. I found the lyrics. I found the lyrics. So you All like right. the duet. I like the fact that it's a duet. And I also like that that at the end of the song, they use the same words, but they mean different things. You know, like, because she's saying, let me go. And he's like, no. And, and she's like, but I'll return to you. He's like, no, no, no. And then she's like, but it'll be okay. And then he's like, let me go because you have to go. It's fine. It's fine. I will be fine. She's like, let me go, but I'll return to you. And I love the part where she's like, I'll return to you. I swear. Let me go in your dreams. I'll still be there. I just love that part. Ah, you guys are so wrong. This is a great song. I just can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so apparently, Metro Lyrics has some lyrics for these songs, and I found one for "You'll Never Win My Love." Let me just see if there's one for. We're on "Let Me Go." Let me go, Jim. Lyrics. I bet you they will come up. Here we go. Natural Lyrics has everything. Let me go, set me free, and let me fly. If you go, don't you know that I will die? Let me go, I will see you soon again. If you go, I will be the unhappiest of men. Let me go, I'll return to you, I swear. Let me go in your dreams, I'll still be there. Let me go, you must pack your bags and go. Though I'll go, I'll be back before you know. Let me go, I'll return to you, I swear. Let me go, in your dreams, I'll still be there. I must let you go. And then at the end, he's like, I must let, let me, you go. Not the greatest lyrics. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) I like to see you write better ones. (laughs) Fine. I will. (laughs) <laughs> oh dear oh silently <sighs> sobbing over here notice how the, the the beast has that uh shirt unbuttoned to his navel and that lion mane all that hair like sprouting out everywhere some women like a hairy man that is the ultimate of hairy that is hey, beyond look, sean connery it worked hairy. for it worked for linda hamilton all right <laughs> okay. it should work for Jem. Rio congratulates Jem on the musical number, but Jem gets upset when he breaks her concentration. Let me just stop for a second here. Do you think that was fair of her to just say that to him? Yes. finished the song. Okay, but again, like, Alex, have you ever been in, in a play or other theatrical production? No. Okay. So, once again, we have somebody interrupting the freaking rehearsal yeah. for nonsense 
And okay, actually, I can I can say I haven't been part of a play, but I have done. I've taken some acting classes, and I do. There was one. There actually, there was one time where I was. We were filming this, so it was all on camera. So, you know, when you're new and you don't have a lot of experience, it's even when you're in a room with just a small group of people, it's still kind of nerve wracking to have a camera on you and people critiquing you and watching you. And when one person is laughing, that's really not what you want to hear, and that does break your com your your concentration so i guess i can understand it but it just i just figured that the song was over right so i figured there was a break and then no she gets no 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 because like the first of all probably the scene wasn't over and sure and again it's like it's the director or since the director is busy too busy playing the beast to be a fucking director um it's the stage manager or or like the assistant director or whatever who's supposed to say okay scene sure um and and instead it's just Rio running on stage, be like, okay, "Hey, fine. that was great." If that's oh, yeah, I couldn't really remember exactly how it happened, but if that is the case, then I agree. He was in the wrong. He should not have done that. Very unprofessional of him. Rio is the worst. But Rio's unprofessional. Yeah, like once it's weird. Well, Rio's concerned that like that Jem uh-huh. seems to be only like uh, just completely obsessed with the Beast, and he tells Jem that. Um, he tells Jem about that and, you know, he says, you know, you're exhausted and you need to rest and you're, you, you know, he demands, you know, you're coming back to the hotel tonight. You're having dinner, you know? Yeah. So then and I, I really feel some kind of way about that because, okay, Rio's jealous, blah, blah, whoop de doo Like that's nothing new for anybody at any time. But Rio is actually like interrupting Jem's actual job with this nonsense. Yeah, that's crap. At this time. And then he's like, you're coming back to the hotel. It's like, excuse me, but who put you in charge? And, you know, and then they do go back to the hotel to get some rest. And and when they do, like, in, in the next scene, Rio's, Rio keeps saying things like, I just don't like the way that he has got you all, like, doing all these things, and we should quit. And we should go home because this is terrible for us. And I'm like, we, sir, I don't remember you being under contract here. It has nothing sir, to do with it. I don't remember, him. right, like you're not involved. And basically, I don't even think that he would actually be all that concerned with Jem's well-being if she wasn't in love with a, fi- a fictional character over him. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I don't, he's so terrible. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah. I mean, he does. I, I want to. I can only assume that he does genuinely mean that about like he's concerned for her well being. Because clearly, we, we know the facts are she is exhausted emotionally and physically. Uh, she obviously hasn't been eating. She hasn't been taking care of herself. So sometimes it does. You know, sometimes you do have to be very blunt as some someone who's close to you with family member, friend, loved one, and just say, you know what? You really do need to take a break. Like you're coming with me because if they are incapable of taking care of themselves, and you don't want to see that person that you care about collapse, right? But of course, that does happen anyway. Because at the as we get to the next scene here, on the way back to the hotel, Jem calls Rio out on his jealousy and says the Beast is just a character. But the impression that 
I got, the impression that she's been giving is that she wasn't really aware of that almost, only because she just says, where is the beast? Where's the beast? She's not talking, even though she doesn't know who the actor is, which is right. impossible. I mean, that's improbable. Weird. Come on, you wouldn't, you tell, you're telling me you don't know your scene partner's name. You've never met yeah, them before. Weird. Give me a break. Yeah. That part is absurd. But anyway, so she's telling Rio, you know, he's just a character. Uh, it's It's not what you think. And after refusing to admit that she's tired, Jem collapses and passes out. Now, now go ahead. I, I just, I feel like this part is the, is the main part that I don't actually believe. Because even though the, like the other holograms aren't in all the scenes or whatever, it just seems like, it, how could he have pushed her so hard that she collapsed? Like, right. I, I found this really unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, the doctor says that uh, the prognosis is good. You know, it's just a case of exhaustion, but she does need a few weeks to fully recover, which is bad news for Jem because clearly she's made this commitment to be in this place. She's obviously very serious and devoted uh, to it. So they decide that, you know, no, she does need to rest. Uh, so the holograms resort to asking the misfits if one of them can take over the lead role. Which, how many holograms are in those scenes? Like, couldn't one of them not be the evil sister and stand in? I, yeah, they, so they, they're backup bizarre. singers. Yeah, that right. was really bizarre. Like, it could have just been as easily, like, Kimber's just as good at being hysterical and ridiculous. <laughs> She could have totally played beauty. Well, here's um, the other issue with this. The holograms are making this decision to go to the Misfits, which they know very well they're enemies with. You know, and two, they, they must know they have no acting experience. Three, they're in London. Are you telling me that you cannot put the call out to a actual working professional actor who can learn these lines, who has the experience, can learn these lines, pick it up very quickly and do it. Why, out of right. all the people, would you resort to your worst enemy? Well, I kind of... Oh, go ahead, Aline. I was just going to say, why is there no understudy? Like, why... Exactly. <laughs> For the same reason yeah. that the director is pretending is, is the lead actor and not telling anybody because this production is ridiculous and was slapped <laughs> together by some jerk who we've never seen before. I'm I, again, I go back to the whole thing where I feel like this person who wrote this episode has sort of seen some other gem episodes, but isn't quite sure like how things should go because, okay, it would be a little bit too much like the Broadway magic episode if the misfits had been lobbying to be in this show all along and then gem gets exhausted and the producer's like, well, I guess we'll just go with the misfits because they're here or because they're the understudies or whatever. But I'm like, so what? This episode is already a lot like Broadway magic. And, you know, let go for it. Because the way that they have it set up now doesn't make it any better. Like, it, it's not better that the holograms have to go to the misfits for reasons unknown. Because, you know, that was my thought, too. And they were like, Jem can't do the show. And I'm like, well, why can't one of you just be beauty until Jem is up? That would just make too much sense, Tempest. Clearly. Yeah. At Mac's office, they break the news of Jem's health. When the holograms say they've already asked the misfits to take over, Mac flips out. 
On opening night, droves of people enter the theater to watch Beauty and the Beast. Backstage, Mac asks Yoji to really crank up the effects as a way of compensating for the loss of Jim. Which is... Uh, okay. No. Explosions, no, we must have works. more effects. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly this became a Michael Bay production. It's like, just blow up things. And then people will be like, ooh, he blew up things. We don't care that Jim isn't here. Right. Yeah. The next moment, Harold shows up and calls Mac out on his lie about Jem playing the lead role since the sign at the front of the building says the misfits are playing. Pizzazz defends herself and Mac, saying that if the misfits don't do the musical, Harold will have no one, which is worse. I guess. But and, also... Yeah. Did you notice how terrible Pizzazz looks in that dress? Yes, that blue blue of the dress and the green of her hair are not compatible. Also, they drew her like the dress just really wasn't made for her body, which I feel like was just an insult. <laughs> like, why did you have to draw it so the dress didn't even look good on her? Considering they all have the same body anyway, yeah, that's weird. Oh, an odd editorial yeah. decision. Jem wakes up after four days of being out cold but she's under the impression she only slept for the night. Kimber explains that the misfits have taken over. Jem flips out and rushes to the theater to take control. So I have a question about the four days of sleep thing. I also, it's the same question I had when the doctor was like, she needs a couple weeks of rest. It's like, so she's had a couple of days where she's been stressed and sleep deprived. And I totally get, she needs some downtime, but doesn't that seem excessive? Like, that does seem excessive. Also, four days—that's a coma. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, yeah, how do you just be... hospital for that? Right. Yeah. No water. No whatever. She's just been sleeping for four days, and they're yeah. just like, "Oh, okay, you do that." I'm sure she smells wonderful too. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, there are many well, ridiculous things about this, and that is one of the ridiculous things. She's like, "What? She slept for how long? No, no, no." At the theater, Pizzazz and the Misfits are stumbling over their lines, many of which they failed to remember. Pizzazz grabs a copy of the script and tries to read from it, but then becomes fed up and decides to improvise. She's like, well, let me tell you about this beast dude. Oh, jeez. While this is happening, the crowd is booing and becoming extremely agitated by the performance. If it's even possible, the misfits are even worse actors than the holograms. How is that possible? Right. Also, I don't believe it because particularly because these the characters of the sisters are basically them. Maybe I can buy Pizzazz sort of having a hard time with the role of beauty. But then once again, we come back. to Why did they even call these women in the first place? Like, even if they had just called Lena Lerner, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it just makes no sense. Like, none of it makes any sense. It's best not to think about it. You will break your brain. Jem arrives and demands to have her role given back to her. Pizzazz comes off stage and refuses to relinquish the role of beauty. But she's then escorted out by Harold's goons who say it's not a request. We're telling you. 
She's dragged out and begins screaming, you can't do this to me. I'm a star. So this Harold dude... <laughs> So that's a great line, first of all. You can't do this. And that delivery, Alex, was beautiful. <laughs> but this Harold dude, who is he? Why does he have thugs? I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. Is it another layer to the Raymond crime family? He did seem kind of not very trustworthy. Yeah. Just seemed like a goon. Yeah. Random thug. The musical ends with Jem arriving. The crowd goes wild and claps as she enters on stage. Beauty tells Beast that he has an inner beauty. She touches his face. Uh, Many men are handsome, but inside they are beasts. You were you were abusive and aggressive, and I had to sing you a song. I'll overlook about how bad all you were. of this. During the musical number, the beast transforms back into a normal man. Surprise. Are you surprised? Are you ready for this? It's Mac. Mm. Whatever. Can we talk about the song? Sure. Well, that's that's (laughs) next, which I'm getting to. A song by Gem and the Holograms called Our Love Makes You Beautiful. Uh. Isn't that right? I'm, I'm just testing this one out. I'm, I'm just leaning back right now. <laughs> but I know what you're going to say. You're going to say that it's horrible because it's all about how, like, like, okay, so pause. <laughs> Rape culture PSA. This concept is terrible. <laughs> yes. Just pause. But, uh, like, like, let's pretend, like, <laughs> I did, I'm, I'm really sure that that all of my love for this song comes from the fact that like the first time I you know, saw this is when I was a kid I fell in love with this episode when I was a kid it was before I understood what was problematic about Beauty and the Beast in general and what is still problematic about Beauty and the Beast like in this incarnation but whatever I just it's such a pretty song and and like it's really great that, you know, she could be like, the thing that makes you beautiful so is the fact that that we love each other. I, divorce for the Beauty, would you great. like to touch my lion mane? <laughs> Feel how thick it is. I get, okay, and the other thing is, is that what, what I really find, um, like... I think that what most people are going for when they're going for the Beauty and the Beast thing is the fact that, like, it's supposed to be about how you're supposed to look beyond what somebody looks like and see the person they are inside. Like, that's that's basically what it's supposed to be about. Of course, it gets all, like, twisted and messed up when it's, like, the person you are inside is somebody who was seriously abusive to me at the beginning of this story. And just because, like, you're not at the end of the story doesn't erase the fact that you were really abusive at the beginning of the story. So there's that. <laughs> but I, I feel like... That's really what this song is sort of getting to is the whole, it's not about what a person looks like on the outside, it's what they are on the inside. So yeah, that's that's why I like it. But I guess we can't completely divorce it from its... The truth there, so. is your father off. is responsible for my disfigurement. I'm just going to go to the... Oh, uh, no. <laughs> but, so, so the thing is... You were 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we form a coherent sentence. I don't think you're wrong to like the song. Um, Lord knows that there are so many things from my childhood that, you know, I'm like, oh, as an adult, oh, this is super problematic, but I still like it. And you're aware that it's problematic in context and maybe out of context it isn't. Uh, maybe I can read the lyrics later and kind of make that separation. So, you know, I, I think it's fine that you like it. It's just, you know, my 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 experience of the song is in the episode. And I found it very problematic. But I don't think you need to go to a corner because you like it. All right. But I probably still have to go to the corner because of whatever guttural sounds Alex was making. I'm afraid. You know? <laughs> I'm definitely afraid. The musical ends with the crowd giving a standing ovation. Jem exits off stage and compliments Mac on his artistry, who is revealed at the end of the play, of course, to be the Beast. Harold congratulates Mac. That, that special effect was really good. It was good. It was like a holographic well, effect. Yeah, or something. I didn't believe that special effect. Like even as a kid, I remember thinking, "How would they even in real life uh, pull that yeah, off?" Yeah, yeah. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, it would have made more sense if, if it was like the the bed shook and all the curtains went up and then they went down. It's like, oh, it's Mac. But like, they were like, magic. Theater is magic. I'm like, even, even when they do that transformation at Disney World, they usually, you know, make it seem, they, they take the thing off the guy behind some sparkles, you know? Yeah, it was. It was a little too unbelievable. Anyway, Harold congratulates Mac on the major success of the show, which, I don't know, it seems presumptuous from one night, but okay. It does, especially since, like, I mean, those people did get up and cheer, but they sat through that entire play watching The Misfits, oh, and they God. only got to see Jim in one scene. I really don't see those people going back to their newspapers and magazines and, and salons and being like, so that play, you really should see it because Jim was in it for five minutes and those five minutes were the best five minutes. Like, I still would have been like, nah, we're, we're not going to see this. Yeah. Well, Jim notices Rio standing alone and looking a bit down. She's called to a cast party, but she goes over to talk to Rio. He asks her if she's actually in love with Mac slash Beast Jem says she isn't, and that it was just the magic of the theater that she got caught up in. Bullshit. <laughs> really? Bullshit. That's how you explain your odd behavior? She is terrible. This is that why, is again, I say, even though Rio is the worst, I'm still like, why is he still here? Like, he has another yeah. girlfriend who's slightly less annoying than this. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. This episode is done. What do you think of the uh, episode overall? How would you rate it? Did you like it better than Video Wars? Was it worse? I am not a fan of this episode. <laughs> is it because of the the uh, problematic nature of the original Be Beauty and the Beast story? That it's it just kind of gross? It, it's not I mean, kind of. It is gross. but It's, it's gross. There's definitely that, but there's also like the Rio jealousy things and the 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 Jim method acting and the four day coma 
that is okay and the going to the misfits like there's just so much about this episode that makes no sense whatsoever um and i mean there are def- there are a lot of episodes where things don't make sense but i just felt like there was a lot in this episode that that was nonsense yeah i yeah. can't really disagree with any of that yeah and and i also i'm trying to remember it's it's actually been a long time since i've read you know some of the quote original beauty and the beast stories but i can't remember if it's always part of the story that the beast is also some kind of abusive jerk face i cuz in my memory a lot of just what drives what's going on is the fact that like yes he tells the father like you have to send your daughter to me and then you know beauty comes and he's like okay you have to stay here and she's like no i don't want to he's like well too bad for you but he i can't remember if he's necessarily like super mean and abusive to her and she has to overcome that it it sometimes is just more that she has to overcome the fact that he like looks like a terrible beast and but he's really just sort of chill inside so this particular interpretation is not the best but but it's because it introduces that element of He's being super abusive and then she falls in love with him anyway because she makes him nice with her love and patience. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. And also Jim is a problem and four-day comas are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Well, you've been listening to the Jamcast on Hologram Radio. I'm joined by Aline Sims as always. Well, almost always, unless I'm not here for some reason. And uh, you can find Aline on Twitter at A-L-E-E-N. She has a podcast on the Relay Podcast Network. Uh, you can uh, check that out by going to relay.fm forward slash L-T-O-E to check out the uh, latest episode and all of the back catalog as well. And uh, she also does some great work on App Camp for Girls, which I think you're working on now, aren't you? Um, No, that's actually part of the reason why we had our um, hiatus. We had a lot of things going on between the three of us, but my big thing was uh, we had camp. So that's over and done with until over and probably done with. next summer. But people can still buy the app in the app store, in the iOS app store and support what you guys do, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think there are two currently. And then um, as we record this, there's one, one camp in progress. Um, and then this fall, there will be another a new coding compendium with like, I think I said that wrong with, with this summer's apps. So buy it on the iOS app store. If you have an iOS device and look for the Phoenix camps and those, those quizzes will be the the ones that my group came up with. And people can check out your writing, which uh, I don't know. How often do you write on aleanmean.com? Oh, you know, once every six months. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I'll check it out anyway. And Kate Tempest Bradford, all of her work is available on ktempestbradford.com, which is basically a portal into all of the things that she does, including all of, well, I think links to basically all of her writing, her blog, any articles she publishes, uh, links to her social media, which by the way, on Twitter is at Tiny Tempest, and you should subscribe to her YouTube channel. Check out her new podcast, The Right Gear, which is on iTunes and your favorite podcast player of choice. And that is The Right Gear, as in W-R-I-T-E, writing with a pen, which you still like to do, right, Tempest? You like pen and paper. I love pens. Yeah, you do indeed. 
And uh, as far as this podcast is concerned, if you'd like to show your support for the Gemcast, and of course you do, head over to patreon.com forward slash hologram radio and become a regular donator. I believe it does accept one-time donations, but uh, being an ongoing donator is the best way to support uh, this podcast and the work that we do, which, uh, of course, we love to do here, but it is not free to do. You can subscribe to the show in iTunes or your favorite podcast player of choice to ensure you get every new episode each and every week. Uh, pop a review into iTunes and we will give you a personal shout out on a future episode of this podcast. So please do that. You can follow this show on Twitter at Gem Podcast and on Facebook, Gem Podcast as well. Uh, chat with us there. You can also follow us on Instagram hologram radio shows email which by the way we I, I just found out today our contact form has been broken for months and i just fixed it today oh, no. i think somebody complained about it a while ago and then i overlooked it and forgot about it you can send feedback to us via email go to hologramradio.org forward slash contact and select gemcast from the drop down menu to send either of us some feedback so that contact form is now working again well, that is it for this week. Until next time, show's over, Synergy. <laughs>